All right. Well, good morning again. You sick of me yet? I'm up here again. Um, it is, like I said, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Thank you if you're joining us online. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Alex. I am the youth and young adults pastor here. Um, and, and we're about halfway through our, our series on, on Rooted and the Rooted Experience. And I've, uh, I've been really encouraged this far by what, uh, what I've heard, what I've seen, what I've experienced. We're doing Rooted with uh, students and young adults on Tuesday nights, and it's, it's led to some really great conversations, really, uh, really um, great moments for our students, and I, I'm hoping that you've had a similar experience with your group so far as well. Um, well, this week we're, we're going to be looking at week six of Rooted. Week six, how can I make the most of my life, part one. How can I make the most of my life, part one. And we spent the last few weeks discussing some tough topics, looking deeper into our own relationship with God, and this is the week that we begin uh, to transition our focus to what God, uh, for what it is that God is calling us to do with our faith. I actually think this topic is, is a human universal. We all want to make the most of our lives. Whether someone believes in God or not, we all have this desire to be significant and to lead a valuable life, right? And as followers of Jesus, we have the solution to this desire that everyone shares. And it's living a life that glorifies God by loving and serving others. Loving and serving others the way that Christ did for us. And we know the way to, living, to live a fulfilling life, a significant life. The problem is uh, that we often face is that we don't embrace it as seriously as we should. A lot of times, I'm, I'm just content to let my faith live in my head. And I love to connect with God intellectually and, uh, and, and letting him challenge me through studying scripture and reading scripture and having conversations and debates with friends. But I don't necessarily always feel the need to make sure those thoughts and conversations influence how I go about my day-to-day life. And for a lot of us, I think there's a disconnect between our inner faith and our expressed faith. And I think God wants us to get our faith aligned. Why? Well, because God wants to use us. God wants to use us. And the first day of the readings for this week focused on reconciliation, that, that, that through Jesus we've been reconciled to God. And Rooted uses this idea of reconciliation to inform how we should begin to see our faith impacting the world around us. So to start, I want us to be on the same page with what reconciliation means. It's very simple. Reconciliation means to restore friendly relations. To restore friendly relations. So what does that then imply? Well, when thinking about being reconciled to God, it means that there was a point when we were not in a friendly relationship with God. And those who currently don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior are living outside of that friendly relationship with God as well. And that should bother us, right? It bothers a great deal. And I'm sure it does when we're asked specifically about it. But does it bother us all the time? We believe it's the biggest problem someone can have, the biggest problem our world faces, that too many people have not been reconciled to God, and they need to be. So for us to begin to address 
this disconnect in our lives between the faith that lives in our hearts and our heads and the faith that impacts the world around us, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. And I'm going to read through the passage. If you have your Bible with, or there's one in, maybe in the pew in front, I think we took those out actually. Um, never mind. If you have your Bible with or on your phone, uh, pull that up. Uh, as I read through it, it's not going to be up on the screen, but after we read through it in its entirety, we're going to go back and look verse by verse, and those will be on the screen. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21 says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their, their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So before we break this down verse by verse, um, it's important to, to remember that when we read the Bible, we, we should read to understand what the author's intent was in communicating to the original audience. And in this case, that, that, that's the church in Corinth. And typically, when reading, we would do our study to determine uh, what, what that original meaning was, and then we apply that to our lives. But in some cases, the meaning is very straightforward. There aren't a bunch of cultural or historical hoops, uh, you know, contextually, that we have to jump through to understand it. And I think this is the case with with this passage. Paul isn't communicating something that only makes sense uh, to the Corinthians' uh, context. It, it's a universal reality about uh, Jesus, about us, about the world. So, with that being said, we're going to uh, start verse by verse in, in verse 14 uh, this morning. So, for the love of Christ controls us. This is verse 14. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore, all have died. So as followers of Jesus, we are and should be controlled by Christ's love for us and our love for him. See, Jesus proved his love for us in his suffering and death on a cross. And when he died, those who trust in him participate in his death by letting his love control us. So what does, that, what does it mean to be controlled by 
Christ's love. Well, in the Greek, the, the word is synechai, and it's translated to control in this verse, or uh, compel in some translations, but actually it carries this idea of constrain, or to secure, to hold together, to keep from falling apart. The love of Christ constrains us. How are we to think about that then? Love of Christ constrains us. Well, because Jesus loves us and because we love him, our thoughts, our actions, our words, our motives, they're all constrained by Jesus, held together by Jesus, meaning we often would like to speak freely, act freely, but we have a responsibility to Jesus to submit to his constraint in our thoughts and our actions. See, we should submit, uh, we should submit our, 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 our motives in everything we do to God's will. And there's something else about the Greek word synechai in, in this uh, verse. It's, it's a present active verb. A present active verb. That means that this control or this compelling or this constraint isn't something that has happened or is intended to happen just once. A present active verb in Greek tells us that this control by Christ's love is something that continues. It's always in the present for us. Not only that, it's always an active control in our lives, always happening through our relationship with Jesus. We should continually be controlled by Christ's love. It's not just a one-time deal. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, this, this verse proves the idea that we are constrained by Christ's love, doesn't it? Because Jesus died for us, for us, we owe it to him to live for him. We don't really like to think of relationships as transactional, right? That a friendship is based on a series of favors and debts. And why is that? Well, because that's, that relationship then isn't founded on selfless love, Right? And I'm not suggesting that a relationship with Jesus is primarily transactional. You know, he died for us because he loves us, not because he owed us something. But it is helpful to think about how we live our lives for Jesus in terms of transaction. We understand debt, and we are indebted to Christ to live for him and no longer for ourselves. In verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So what, what have we established so far? Well, first, that we are controlled and held together by Christ's love and our love for Jesus. This includes our thoughts, our actions, our words, our motives. And that we are also in debt to Christ because of the price he paid for us. And verse 16 gives us insight into what Christ wants us to do with that debt. See, a part of this constraint, control we experience in a relationship with Christ, is to see people how he sees them. Regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, essentially, it's, it's, not, to, it's to not think of others by the world's standards. When we look at somebody, when we meet somebody, are we, are we immediately thinking about how much money they make, how attractive they are, how powerful they are? No, that's what the world looks at. 
That's not what we're supposed to consider. Instead, we're called to see others as God sees them. Valuable persons created in the image of God with dignity, with purpose, and loved by God. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, we have experience living as new creations in Christ. And we should want those around us to experience that newness in Christ as well. But we should always be aware that we are new creations not because of anything we've done, and therefore we're no better than those whom God still wants to make new. See, our old self is gone. The, the way we thought, the way we spoke, the way we acted is not us any longer. We used to live without this sense of responsibility to Jesus, but this new life includes living as Jesus wants us to live. It's part of being made new. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, reconciliation means to restore friendly relations, restore friendly relationship. We've been reconciled to Christ. Our relationship with God has been restored to its intended position, its intended function, what it was in the Garden of Eden. But our reconciliation comes with a responsibility to others, a ministry of reconciliation. See, our goal on earth, because we are controlled by Christ and constrained from living as our old self, Our goal is to help those around us, our neighbors, our friends, our family, to see the desperate need that they have to be in a restored relationship with God. Every believer has this responsibility because we've been reconciled. Our relationship has been made right. It's been restored. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And this reconciliation isn't something that we're capable of achieving. It's only because God found Jesus' sacrifice on the cross sufficient to let us off the hook for our sin. And what is this message of reconciliation? Keep saying that. It's the gospel. That all people are sinners in need of forgiveness, And because of what Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have been brought back to the Father. And while it's important to understand that we owe a debt to Christ to live for him, Paul says that we as his followers are trusted with his message. So that transactional nature of our relationship with Jesus is definitely not the most important aspect. It's just partial. More so, we're trusted with the message of reconciliation like we trust a friend or a spouse with an important piece of information about our life. We're trusted by Jesus with this message. And verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here we get to the point in the passage that really gives us an idea of what we're called to do for those around us. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. This is a great illustration of how we should go about living our lives day in and day out as ambassadors. 
leads us to think about being an ambassador for a nation. They are tasked with representing their nation to another nation, and they have the authority to communicate their nation's leader's message to the other country. They don't make up their own messaging. They take the goals and the strategies of their leader and act as their representation. And this is what we are for Christ. This is what Paul says our job is for Jesus, his ambassadors, his representation here on earth to a world that needs to hear the message of reconciliation. As evangelicals, we, we often take this as a call to other nations, other people groups through missions, and, and that's great. But not all of us are, are necessarily called overseas, right? And this mindset sometimes limits us to thinking that we don't need to be ambassadors for Christ because we support our missionaries overseas. And it, it's, a, it's an important aspect of what, what we do as the church. But we can't let it limit our understanding of who we are and our role as, as Christ's ambassador. And, and especially now with COVID, our travel options are limited, but our role as ambassador is just as important. Think about family and friends, neighbors, coworkers, people you run into at the grocery store. And what's cool about living in the Twin Cities is that even if we still feel the call to go overseas to reach the nations, the reality is that the nations are coming to us. I remember hearing Paul Lindbergh, our um, representative with, uh, with Talking Bibles, I remember him talking a couple years ago about what it means to bring the gospel to all nations. And while we think of nations as, as like bordered countries, really the Bible talks about nations as people groups. And the Twin Cities is incredibly diverse, representing many people groups who we would have had to cross oceans to reach not that long ago. Right in our backyard, the opportunities to be ambassadors for Christ here in our own city have increased exponentially very recently. See, when we are ambassadors for Christ's message, we are his representatives. We represent Jesus here. And then verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul closes this passage out by simply explaining this message of reconciliation, the gospel. That Jesus became sin for us so that we could become righteous or be made right with God. Brought back into right relationship with the Father. And this is good news. This is the message that leads those who are lost into reconciliation, the gospel. So what's all this to say? What is Paul trying to get across in a nutshell? Well, essentially, it's this. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has reconciled us to God and is in the process of reconciling the world to God. And since we've been reconciled, we are now ambassadors, representatives of this good news. The gospel compels us to share the good news of reconciliation. That there's a way to be made right with God and with others. And it's our duty, our responsibility, to be representatives of Christ and his message. It's our duty, our responsibility, to be representatives of Christ and his message. So with this in mind, we're getting into, into the Rooted Week 6 material. How do I make the most of my life? Well, as ambassadors... As representatives of Christ, we should want to be as effective as possible, right? We want to be effective representations, right? Representatives 
We've been trusted with the gospel message, the only message with the power to lead people into reconciliation with God. It's not enough for us to be just simply aware of this reality and settle for infrequent opportunities to share it, right? We should want to do this better. We should want to be the best representatives of Christ that we can be. So the question then becomes, how? How do we do that? How do we represent Jesus well? How do we go about finding the strength to represent Christ in scenarios that make us uncomfortable? And why should we? Why should we? Let's address that, that last question first. Why should we bother representing Christ well? Well, I think our passage uh, from this morning uh, answers the question for us for the most part. But this idea is originally found in the Old Testament when we look at Abraham. And this is where Rooted points us as well. It's in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, when God called Abraham, he promised he would bless him beyond his imagination, that his offspring be vast and and essentially uncountable, right? But did you catch verse 2? It says, And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. God blessed Abraham so that he would bless everyone, right? Abraham was the father of the Jewish people, and he is the one through whom God instituted uh, his covenant with his people, the circumcision and setting apart of God's people in the Old Testament. Eventually, Jesus was born, uh, was born a Jew, and, and God's redemptive narrative is at work throughout the Old Testament, always pointing ahead towards Jesus. And this is one of the first examples of it. God's plan to reconcile the world was at work in his covenant with Abraham. So in the same way, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to bless others. So then what does it take to represent Jesus well? Well, I would argue the best way to do this is to live like Jesus, right? Live like Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians to be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Don't be stingy with with patience and grace. Forgive those who wrong you. Always keep an eye out for those who are in need. And this is what Jesus modeled for us in his earthly ministry. But most of all, he did these from a place of humility. He did these from a place of humility. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus had every right to walk this earth in pride, right? He created it. And all things were made through him and for him, and yet he took the role of a servant, washing his disciples' feet. See, we can't be effective representatives of Jesus if we live our lives in opposition to how he lived his. I'm going to say that one more time. We can't be effective representatives of Jesus if we live our lives in opposition to how he lived his. See, we are so quick to become prideful. And I'm not going to ask for a showing uh, of hands, but last week in Rooted, we, we looked at strongholds, right? And pride was one of those strongholds. And, and pride is so easy for us to fall into. I would, I would venture to, to guess that many of us had pride circled in our books last week. Right? It's so easy for us to become prideful. But Jesus never did. Jesus never did. Well, I will ask for a show of hands here. Who's, who's ever served with Feed My Starving Children? Ooh, a lot of you. Nice. Feed My Starving Children. Um, it's a great organization. Uh, feeds, uh, feeds desperate kids around the world. And when we go to serve as you guys can, uh, can back up, right? We, are, we uh, are greeted by incredibly kind and compassionate volunteers who love the mission of their organization, right? They care deeply about the kids receiving their food. But do we think that those working for Feed My Starving Children would turn away a child if one showed up at their warehouse looking for food? No, of course not, right? They would open one of those packs, they'd make the meal on the spot, or... They would, uh, you know, use their own money to go buy a Happy Meal at McDonald's for them, right? Of course they would. Because they care about their mission. But what if we saw in the news the head of Feed My Starving Children walk away from a child in need right in front of them? The organization's message and goal would still be a good one, right? But it wouldn't that lead us to doubt the sincerity of the organization? Of course it would. The same thing goes for us as representatives or ambassadors for Christ. See, our lack of ability to communicate the message does not mean our message of reconciliation is false or bad, but why would somebody believe us if we don't live as if it were true? When we live as Christ did, in humility, we are confirming that we have been reconciled to God, and we realize it isn't by anything we've done, See, when we consider others more important than ourselves, we do right by the message of reconciliation. And we represent Jesus the way he represented himself during his earthly ministry. See, we prove out the truth of the reconciliation by how we conduct ourselves, by loving our neighbor. We prove the truth of our message. And then finally, how is it that we are able to bring this message of reconciliation into our world when it it can either seem burdensome or intimidating? How can we talk about the gospel with our coworker when all we've ever talked about is the weather and the Vikings, right? Well, not not the Vikings this year. We don't talk about them. Um, They'll get them today, though. That's what I said last week. Um, Anyways, uh, won't it be awkward to ask my neighbor what they believe about God? Wouldn't that be, does that feel awkward? What do you believe about God? I mean, we feel awkward about that. We have to live next to them. I don't want them thinking I'm, you know, some crazy religious person, right? 
I get it, I get it. But a lot of times these conversations can even seem more intimidating than going on a mission trip and sharing the gospel. Why? Well, because we know them. We have a relationship with them. But what if God has placed those people in your life so that you can be a representative of Jesus to them? What if you are called to share the reconciliation you have in Christ? Let's set aside the concerns over that for a moment. You know, which approach do you think is more effective? Preaching on a street corner to strangers or sitting down at break with your coworker and asking them their thoughts about God? I'd argue it's much more effective to sit with someone who knows you, who sees how you treat others, sees your patience. They, they may even be wondering where your kindness and patience come from, Right? And you have the opportunity to explain the reconciliation you have in Jesus. And, and you know what, maybe you haven't been particularly patient or kind at work or uh, elsewhere, and then you'd have the opportunity to admit your shortcomings in humility in that context. And of course, it, it's still intimidating, but we don't go into these conversations alone. Not only do you have the support of your church family here, You've been given the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is he, the Holy Spirit, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, and we can trust that he will show up when we are fulfilling his call in our life to be ambassadors for Christ. And Rooted explains this by telling a story of an elephant and his friend the mouse. Did you guys read that this week? Elephant and the mouse. They went everywhere together, right? And they're walking all over the place. They come across a bridge, and as they both walk over this bridge, because of the elephant size, obviously the bridge shakes, right? When they got to the other side, the, the mouse turned up to his friend and said, wow, we really made that thing shake, didn't we? Well, same for us. We are the mouse. Holy Spirit is the elephant, phrase I never thought I'd say from stage. We are the mouse. Holy Spirit is the elephant in that scenario. Everywhere we go, whomever we talk to, the Holy Spirit shakes the room, makes things happen. We all have to do, all we have to do is be willing to go. Go along for the ride. See, when we commit to loving others, living humbly, and walking with the Holy Spirit, our message of reconciliation carries a lot of weight. When we commit to loving others, living humbly, walking with the Holy Spirit, our message of reconciliation carries a lot of weight. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live humbly and serve others, but the Holy Spirit also equips us with certain, uh, certain gifts to carry out our purpose as ambassadors for Christ. And each person who believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord is given spiritual gifts, talents that, that we have to serve others for the kingdom of God. And those gifts are listed throughout the New Testament, and they include wisdom and, and knowledge and hospitality and giving and serving and helping and administration and if you've never taken a spiritual gifts assessment, find one of us pastors. Uh, you can find them online. We can direct you to a great place uh, to start because the, the, these assessments are so incredibly useful because when we know which gifts we've been given, 
we can be more intentional about using them to be representatives of Jesus and the gospel. The world, our neighbors and friends, they need to know there is a way to be made right with God, reconciled to their creator. And we need to be ready to do whatever we can to share this message, this hope, and prove its truth through how we live. So how can we make the most of our lives? We need to realize we are all ambassadors for Christ and for his message of reconciliation. And making the most of our lives means being effective representatives for our Savior. First, we need to understand that we are blessed with this message, blessed with reconciliation in order to bless others. We need to serve others out of humility, imitating the life of Jesus. And finally, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit equips us with certain important spiritual gifts and goes with us, empowering us to share this message of reconciliation through words, backed up with our deeds in our humility. Because remember, the, the love of Christ controls, constrains, compels us to be ministers of reconciliation here on earth. We hold the secret to how, how someone can be made right with God. Is there anything more important than that? No. It's the most important message in the world there ever has been. There's a way to be made right with God, and it's through His Son, Jesus. And it's our responsibility to be representatives of that message to those in our life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your reconciliation in our lives. Thank you for your spirit that you've given us to empower us and equip us and prepare us for every good work, God. I ask that you give us boldness this week. Remind us each morning that we are your representatives. We are your ambassadors. We've been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation and the people around us desperately need to know there's a way to be reconciled to you. Give us the power, give us the boldness, give us the wisdom and the courage to share that. And not only to share that, but to back it up with how we live. Help us to remain humble and to continue to seek you. God, as we head in this next week, we ask that you would keep that as a reminder in front of us each day. We want to be your representatives, God. We want to do it well. Help us to do that. It's in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, remember, as you go, each and every one of you is an ambassador, a representative of Jesus. And it's our duty, it's our goal to be good representatives of Jesus, to represent him well. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit goes with you, and our message is important. It's in your name. Amen.